Metricast. So I definitely had clinical depression, right? And really, honestly, the only way I could get out of it was to find a spiritual path that was right for me and practice it daily. Because this world, it's a battle between, you know, being in the material world, the duality of darkness and light. And it really is important to tap into the the deep, the depths of your soul and tap into that inner joy, inner love, inner peace, and then, and then bring it forth into the world. Welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna Podcast. This podcast is meant to encourage you to connect within so you can share your light with the world. And now, here's your host, Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Harrison Ma. Welcome, powerful, beautiful beings, to another episode of the Cosmic Love Antenna. I am your host, Harrison, here as always with a mystical, powerful, beautiful guest to share with you. But before we get to that, remember that you've tuned into a show where we are here to help you pull back the layers restricting health, alignment, and love so your inner connection can be your outer expression. And today I have a mystical, powerful, loving, soul to share with you the beautiful elizabeth lava is a is a coach is a transformational healer she is an author she is a speaker and she connects deeply into some spaces and places that i think are very powerful to understand we're going to get into today the link between spiritual awakening and mental health right a lot of us in this world, in this cosmos at the moment, have challenges when it comes to our, our, our mental health balance. And a lot of us disconnect or see the separation between spirituality and, and mental health awareness and mental health improvement. But today we're going to blur those lines together. Before I pass to my guests, I want to remind you, if you are getting value out of these episodes, if you get value out of this one today, remember that you can do a couple things. You can share this with a soul, a family member, a friend that you love very much. You can leave some reviews on Apple or Spotify, and you can also head over to my website, join my newsletter to get more info, more value, and more episodes much like this one. With all of that said, Elizabeth, thank you for joining me and welcome to the Cosmic Love Antenna. Thank you, Harrison. My honor to be interviewed by you. We uh, we were just joking before we started recording. We're having some technical difficulties and trying to connect our mics. And I, I made the joke with you that when we have these kinds of spiritual conversations, I've noticed that uh, God, love, consciousness, divine, whatever you want to call it, throws us little tests to see, oh, are you serious? Are you, are you, is this something you really want to talk about? And I feel like we beautifully moved through that together. Would you agree, my friend? <laughs> <laughs> agreed, agreed. <laughs> so, Elizabeth, where I want to start and where I usually start these chats with uh, with people like you is, you know, I've got to understand a little bit about what you do in the world, but listeners tuning in, they're new to your voice. So I like starting with a little bit of background of who you are, but specifically, and I know we're going to get into this more later, but maybe you can give us an overview here now. What was your pain teacher? And when I say pain teacher, what I mean by that is what was the thing that led you to where you are right now? Obviously, there are multiple things, but if you had to narrow it down to one event, one experience, what led you to the beautiful soul that's speaking to me now on this podcast? Mm. 
It's expecting that I will get inner fulfillment from the outer world. Mm. (laughs) So I had um, loss in my personal life um, in the middle of running a health department and being a mental health advocate. And in the middle of it, I became depressed due to personal losses. And I had a very strong inner critic. And the inner critic tore my inner critic, my inner voice was shredding me on the inside of all the mistakes I had made. Very brutal uh, battle inside of me. And I was being pushed to go on antidepressants in the middle of this grant that I was running. And this grant was for six counties and with a high level of suicide and depression rates and substance use rates, um, which I view as just self-medicating, you know, souls trying to soothe soothe oneself. Mm. And um, I looked at the bottle of the antidepressants and I saw the withdrawal symptoms. I'm like, that's the same thing I'm going through right now. It's just delaying it. There's got to be another way. So I started searching for alternatives. I did all the deep self-care. I had a regular mental health counselor. Mm -hmm. It really wasn't working for me. And what I didn't realize I started to do was spiritually searching. So I went to the library and I checked out books about mindfulness and meditation. Mm. And within a few weeks of me practicing both of those, I had a profound awakening. Mm. And it's interesting because I wrote a book about it. And the first publisher who wanted to publish it said, it's all about self-love. Mm. I was like, I think I need to change it a little bit. But it's actually, in some ways, it's true. Yeah, because we are trying to tap into the peace of our soul, yes. our self, going from the little self to the bigger self, connecting with spirit to yes. realize that we are all divine. Yeah, I uh, thank you for sharing that, my friend, and I think for people tuning in, my audience, or maybe new new souls that have stumbled across this episode. If you go back and listen to just one or two episodes of this show, you'll start to see a link here and why I why I felt pulled to this this beautiful woman and the, and her experience and the work that she does. I think this is a good transition, my friend. And I think you hit on a little bit of it there, but let's start with one of the terms that you use. I think you've mentioned it in your book and the work that you do is a spiritual emergency. And I would love for you to define what this is. What is a spiritual emergency? We'll go from there. Great. The shortest phrase I can used to define it is a simultaneous psychological and spiritual crisis. Mm. Um, The phrase spiritual emergency was coined by Stanislav and Christina Groff, who are profound leaders. One of them has already passed. The woman has, she had a similar experience that I did. She had a Kundalini rising and her husband um, still is alive. And he is a profound research psychologist saying psychiatrist. So their definition is a spiritual emergency is a rapid awakening with stages of a profound psychological transformation that involves one's entire being, including sequences of psychological death and rebirth. Mm -hmm. And um, they may or may not include spiritually transformative experiences. And that's what I had was spiritually transformative experiences. And when they started to happen, when I started to tap into spiritual paths, um, I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> the word crazy is not a good word. That's um, a, and mm-hmm. that was, let me let me jump in here because this is Please. the crux. This is the crux of why I wanted to do this episode. Is mm-hmm. the people will feel, people will perceive, people will interpret that this 
experience, whether you want to call it an emergency, whether you want to call it an awakening, whether you want to call it a Kundalini rising or just all of it together, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it is a part of this human experience. And I think a lot of us, myself included for a long time, we can often ignore it. We can suppress it. We can pretend it's not real or, and I'm, I know you can speak to this, we can start medicating it as if it's a, as if it's a something wrong, as if it's a, oh, this should be, this should be pushed to the corner because this person needs to be put in a, a psychiatric uh, institution. And let me be very mm-hmm. clear with my words. There are very real mental health challenges, mental health disorders, mental health conditions that need to be monitored. Mm-hmm. But there are also very real experiences like the one that you're talking about. Does that does this resonate at all with you, my friend? Yes. Uh, Christina Groff actually was put into a psych ward. And that's one reason she created the Spiritual Emergence Network, uh, which is how is one of the many organizations listed in the back of my book to be led to counselors with deep spiritual competency. So in my journey, if one was to read my book, you can, there's actually a detail I left out, which was I was working with a tr- tr- traditional counselor. And when I brought to her, is it normal when you're coming out of depression to have euphorias like an orgasm? <laughs> the look of concern on her face. I was like, oh God, if I tell her anymore, I'm going to be put in a psych ward. Yeah. And I did not feel comfortable talking to anyone, any professional about it because I, it was actually a healthy fear. And yeah. while I was learning how to be a spiritual emergence coach from Dr. Emma Bragdon, who has a PhD in transpersonal psychology, that does happen to quite a few people. Yeah. And I just put it out to the universe help, help. And I had become a yoga instructor and Shiva Ray, who's one of the, one of my many teachers taught me how to teach just, you know, yoga on the mat. She was in, in the region and I went on a retreat and you can see in my book, how I was led to a professional counselor to Western trained but with deep spiritual competency. And that mm-hmm. phrase is used a lot by David Lukoff and Cassandra Veaton, who are leaders in increasing the competency of mental health providers to recognize uh, if someone's having spiritual awakening, but also to be open to different spiritual paths oh, yeah. in terms of for that soul and supporting them to go spiritually deep for healing. Yeah, And so that's part of spiritual competency. So that's part of my journey is yes, having the awareness that it, it actually, you're not becoming insane. Yeah. You're becoming you're going, more sane. You're becoming more of yourself. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, I project it. I look into the future and this is why, you know, I see people like you and, you know, other practitioners out there that are like mending these two worlds together. It's, it's a beautiful future that I look forward to, right? I know that it's, it's blossoming now and there are many ways, many facets of different industries that are starting to incorporate it, like you're saying. But I think in the future, this is going to start synergizing a lot deeper. And I think, and this is a question I want to lead to in here next, my friend, talk about this. You mentioned suicidality and suicide rates a few moments ago. And of course, you know, speaking about these topics, there are so many factors at play and I'm, I'm aware of that. But I'm wondering, my friend, what is your opinion? Where does this factor in to suicide rates? Do you feel Mm, that mm -hmm. this is a big part of why people feel like we started this chat with with your said, you said your journey wasn't a a looking outwards for a, for a, for a, for a higher expression, for a higher connection. 
I think a big part of suicidality, I know I can, I can speak to this. I haven't experienced suicidal ideation, but I have had depressive moments and very, very deep moments in my life where there was a longing, right? There was a, it was a longing for something more expansive. So I'm wondering, my friend, mm-hmm. is there a correlation here in your opinion? Yeah. So um, I did experience suicidal ideation. And I've been told to like, take it out of my book. And I'm like, oh no, no, no. (laughs) Cause those souls who have had suicidal ideation, it is so profoundly painful. It's part of the psychological death that is described by the Grops. And it's where you're feeling trapped. There's no other way out. You're in so much pain. And let me tell you, I went through eight months with about three hours of sleep a night, if that. And I wanted a way out. And when I started having suicidal ideation, I was so scared. I jumped up and I said, what is wrong? I, 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 there's got to be another way. And so I just put it at that moment, there's divine forces that said she needs help. <laughs> and um, so suicidal suicide rates are quite high in the Intermountain West of the United States. And there's actually some beautiful articles about why is that? Uh, there are a lot of factors. One is um, the short daylight where like where I, where I'm speaking to you from right now is in a glacially carved canyon that literally at 12:30 in the winter sun is over the edge mm. so decreased sunlight mm. the other is uh remoteness uh feeling isolated not having enough community to get support in some places it's a lack of mental health services um yeah. another is the people that are drawn to these areas to make a go of it are risk takers. Mm. And so when they think of that moment of, I want out, they don't realize just the full risk that they're taking to their soul and others, particularly others in their, in their life. So that's my journey and suicide ideation. I just want to say that there's someone very important in my book who took their life and I have to go to that funeral service. I mean, I'm going to, it's not, I have to, but I'm going to go and I'm going to write a poem about the beauty of that soul. Mm. And the moment that I found out that that person took their life, I was so beside myself. I Mm. was like, of all the people. Mm. And um, I have a spiritual teacher who's my main core teacher that was led to, as you can see at the end of my book, I don't want to really talk about it because it's really a fun plot twist. Um, But uh, on Facebook, I look at his, there's like a Facebook group and the passage, the quote he said is getting along with others is one thing. Getting along with yourself is even more difficult. So I know that soul well enough to know that the inner critic was so profound, it caused him to feel trapped. So I feel your emotions, my friend. Thank you for sharing Mm -hmm. that with me. And I think we'll talk about your book a little bit more at the end, but mm-hmm. if people tune into your resource and, and go a bit deeper into the work that you do in the world, I think it's that emotional relatability and that emotional connection. Cause I look at what's been happening over the last two years of events. I'm sure many people out there listening to this episode, you know, due to COVID, due to lockdown, due to, you know, illness, you know, you're not alone in your experience. I'm sure in terms of sudden losses of people that we care so much about, but that is where, you know, I really want to stress this. That is where the mental health jump into the spiritual reconnection can really help us move through not just that critic that you were talking about, but I also feel, uh, you know, just to share from my, my experience, 
death for me, whether it be my relationship with it or when I look at the people I love very much, I'm not going to say that all of the emotion, all of the sadness, all the grief, all the anger goes away. Mm -hmm. But when I bring in a spiritual lens, there is a soothing there because now I start to see someone as, and I'll get you, I want to get your thoughts on this, my friend. Now Mm -hmm. I start to see someone not just as the human being that they are, the human, the beautiful human animal that they are, but Mm -hmm. I also see them as the eternal soul that sits behind it. And that for me tends to soothe that resistance that can come up around the -hmm. death process. Does that, am I I crazy? My friend, does that resonate at all? (laughs) Oh, deeply, deeply. Yeah. Yeah. My teacher says, you know, your soul is immortal. The the body is a beautiful temple, but it's temporary. And um, that's what I put out there to my, my dear close soul is I asked for my spiritual teacher to find him on the astral plane, what a lot of people say is heaven, and to thank him for his role in this incarnation for me and to support him to find peace. Um, And let's just say I heard back. (laughs) Yeah, I believe you, my friend. And that's, again, and I say this to everyone listening, that communication isn't just one way. I mean, it can be if you, if it is a lot for you and I can understand again, with all the emotions that come up around death for now, for some time, it can just be one way where you're just sending love, sending Mm -hmm. energy, but if you're open to it, and I've talked about this in other shows, right? Whether it be past loved ones, whether it be ancient ancestors, whether it be angels, whether it be extraterrestrial beings, whether it be spirit animals, in my experience, these, all of this support team is around you a lot of the time and the difference the difference between receiving it is you, right? Your openness to be like, Hey, I need a bit of support right now. Is there mm-hmm. someone there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's another episode for another time, my friend, <laughs> but uh, I can talk about that one for a while. I, I want to go back to something you said before, and I want to break this down for people. Cause I want to, I know we can go off into esoteric spiritual conversations, which are valuable, but I do want to make this practical for people. So let's, go back to what you are really good at. And it's this idea of spiritual competency for mental health providers or mental health professionals. I'm wondering if we can make this practical now, my friend, if there is a mental health professional listening to this episode and they want to start increasing their, their spiritual competency to help the people that they support, where do they start? What's the, what's maybe Mm -hmm. a couple of tips in your Mm -hmm. experience? Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of my book, it, it ends with about six and a half pages of resources for those who may be going through a rough awakening, but it has a section that's designed for mental health professionals that are interested in this. And there's some links to some web pages about how to get training. Um, so I mentioned David Lukoff and Cassandra Veaton. They have collaborated, collaborated together to put together the spiritual competency training. Um, and it was free for a while. I think it's extremely low cost and actually allows them to get continuing education credits. So that's one place. Um, there's a book by uh, Cassandra Veaton and a colleague um, who that goes deep into this in terms of why it's needed. And um, I've applied to give a TEDx talk and I love some of the statistics in there. They're very science-based that show the discrepancy between the percentage of the population that actually would love to talk about spirituality with their counselor 
quite high, like about two thirds. And what small percentage of psychologists are actually prepared to do that, it's really not the psychologist's fault. It has to do with system. the training they receive. Yes, the system. And so uh, there are advanced psychiatrists and psychologists that recognize this, that are putting out continuing education to shift that. So we have, we can bridge the gap between that. Oh, I love it, my friend. Uh, and again, we'll talk about the book at the end, but I think the, <laughs> I hope this is probably a whole other conversation too, but the system that we live in within all of these, and it's not just a mental health thing, right? This is a nutrition thing. This is a weight loss thing. This is a yeah. pharmaceutical thing. This is a big agriculture thing. There's, there's, I, I want to plant the seed for people don't get stuck on the beautiful souls that are within the system. They're doing the best they can most of the time from their space of love, but it's talking about what can we do as a collective to start shifting some of these systems. And if the system is broken, make a new one. Right. And I think that's, you know, a big part of why I wanted to talk to you, my friend, because to me, I think you're a part of a new system that's blossoming, which is beautiful. Thank you. Thank I, you. Um, <laughs> I want to go back to something else that you said mm -hmm. and I, I haven't experienced this the way that you have, but I want to. And what I mean, what I mean by this is the Kundalini rising that you mm. talked about and yeah. you equated it to the sexual energy or in your words, you said it was very orgasmic. So I'm, I'm wondering if we can <laughs> first, first maybe break down in your, in your experience, your words, how would you define a kundalini rising? Because I think a lot of people are still new to that. And then maybe we can go into the, the sexual, sensual energy of it all. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I actually like to use words from ancient wisdom about kundalini. So this quote is from Steve Taylor, who wrote a book called The Leap. And I was trying to find the most concise. And so this is shortened. Yes. But in Appreciate the Indian. It. Okay. Yeah. Shortened. Because well, uh, sorry mm -hmm. to jump in, Elizabeth, yeah, because please. I say that because people, we get stuck in, in words and definitions and that stops us from tuning into what the actual meaning of the thing is. So mm -hmm. yeah, I just appreciate you doing that because look, people listening, I try to make this as understandable as possible. So thank you for doing that. Sure. So the, his definition is in the Indian spiritual traditions of yoga and tantra, sudden energetic awakenings are depicted as kundalini awakening. Kundalini derived from the Sanskrit word kunda, meaning to coil or to spiral, is an, an intense and explosive form of energy that lies dormant in the lowest of the seven chakras. So I, I bet you most of your readers understand chakras. Yeah. Are all of them? Yeah. yeah okay. if, and if they're not, definitely go back and listen to chakra healing episodes one and two, but yes, you're great. Right. Great. So um, I had taken a yoga instructor course and had heard about the chakras and Kundalini and all that. And I was a very Western based, rigid, left brain scientist. And I was like, I just want to learn how to teach the physical practice, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's all of this like Bhagavad Gita and all these things I was supposed to be reading. I tried and I was like, really? Oh my God. It's, it's very off-putting at first. You're like, what is all these words? Yeah. yeah. So I guess I had to experience it myself, which I always joke about that with politicians. Politicians tend to get on the bandwagon to make change when something I'm like, ah, well, I happened to me too. I had to have a Kundalini rising and it was very euphoric. 
very blissful. And Elizabeth, let me just put context on this. Mm-hmm. Where did this happen in relation to, you know, your experiences that you shared before this, did this happen after the dark night of the ego? Like what it was, it was it what I'm feeling and correct me if I'm wrong. Usually the Kundalini rising comes at a breaking point. It comes at the point where you're like, Oh, I can't go. There's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, you know, I've talked with my counselor who has deep spiritual competency and we're not quite sure. And, and we, there's a kind of a joke, like I did a book reading recently and this young man who was in the audience, he's like, does it just happen kind of when it's your time? <laughs> and I think there is, but definitely it was through hardship. And so for me, I became so exhausted that I came to the point where my mind was so tired. And there's a Sanskrit word called naroda, which means yes. lack of thought. Yes. So one of the things that I say is that the spiritual masters are masters of the mind. So yeah. you can go deep spiritually. Now they also are masters of the body too. Don't get me wrong. But the mind, our brain <laughs> is so powerful and we don't realize what power there is, lies there and how it can both destroy and create. Yes. Yes. And, and Elizabeth, just to jump in there, that's where the term in my experience and where I resonate with this, that's where you hear the phrase, the longest journey we, we will all ever take is from the head to the heart because of how much beautiful power the mind and the brain has. But sort of paradoxically, if we get stuck in that power, we get stuck in that potential, it's hard to move beyond it, right? And often beyond mm-hmm. it into that cosmic love, that heart space is is unfortunately and fortunately where a lot of our healing and expansion occurs. So sorry to interrupt you. Keep going. No, it's great. So uh, most of us are, are in the world um, exercising, I mean, basically operating the world from the lower three chakras. And so when you're starting to have a Kundalini rising, the goal is to continue it rising up to your heart chakra and all the way to your third eye and Sarasara, right? And I mean, I'm like, why am I being given this? So I just went on a search for what is a Kundalini rising? Why is it happening for me? And I'm sitting in this class by the stage (laughs) and he, someone asked about a Kundalini rising. I'm like, Oh God, I'm having one. And they're asking about it. And then he, he has this mag, he has his magic marker and eraser board. He spins around with joy. And he knows I'm having Kundalini rising. Because so. <laughs> I'd already had a concept. He's an Ayurvedic. He's, his, he's in the book. His name is Masvidal. He's, he's world famous as a sage. He spins and, and, around. And Elizabeth, and it doesn't surprise yeah. me because we attract what we are, right? So it doesn't, when you say that there is someone in the room that is competent and a professional when it comes to Kundalini rising while you are having a Kundalini rising, oh. that makes total sense to me. All right. <laughs> Those divine moments are lined up for us, you know, whether you want them or not. And he said, just because someone has a Kundalini rising doesn't make them spiritual. And I was like, oh, I'm tuning in. And he said, it will keep happening in lifetime after lifetime until they are ready to go deep. And I was like, what does he mean by that? Hmm? So basically uh, for my spiritual emergence coaching clients that are having a Kundalini rising, I explained to them, do you understand what the purpose is? And then I encourage this. It's to find the spiritual path that's right for you in this lifetime and go as deep as possible. Mm. So my spiritual emerging emergency started as more gentle and then turned into emergency, partly because I was led to a spiritual path that was shocking for me. It was in stark contrast to the way I was raised. And I couldn't handle it first. And, you know, there's this scene in, um, 
a movie. I'm trying to remember the name of the movie with uh, Tom Cruise and he's the attorney and he's interviewing uh, this military general and he, and the general just screams out. You can't out. handle the truth. You can't handle the truth. Is the you can't handle the truth? Oh my! Oh, that was for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but my Kundalini rising wouldn't stop. So most people that I meet have Kundalini rising. They have this euphoric moment or two, and it comes on and off again, and it settles down. Mine would not stop for over two years. It would not stop mm. until I became devotional. And there's this yes. really hilarious scene where I'm I'm with a counselor who's part of the, this is mentioned in my book, the Patanjali Kundalini Yoga Care Center. And they have a list of counselors that help support people who are having Kundalini rising. So I'm sitting on our couch and she looks at me and she goes, Elizabeth, you were designed for this. And I was like, well, we all are actually, you know. Um, Kundalini Shakti Ma will not leave you alone until you become devotional. I'm like, yes. what do you mean? And she says, you've been given a path. That teacher is the real deal. Go deep. And I went, yeah. what? So I went back home and I was still having like these euphoric experiences. So what happened was when the Kundalini happens, it can get kind of stuck where it bounces around and it's not continuing to rise. And I had to go into both a physical and spiritual practice to allow it to continue to arise. Elizabeth, let me jump in here because I know where you're going with this. And I, I want to jump to that sexual, sensual center next. Okay. But let me just pop in here to add. I, I think I feel that maybe a lot of people listening have maybe experienced a Kundalini rising and or they might actually be able to feel into the same situation that you went through of the continual rising or the continual, I have a lot of clients, for example, that come to me and they express that they get lost in the clouds a lot, that they, they have all of these spiritual downloads and they get these connections, but at the same time, they can't physically ground into themselves and they feel anxious. They feel lost. They feel like they have all of these ideas, but they can't take inspired action to embody it through the physical. And not only does that go back to your point about around the lower three chakras being very unbalanced for most people and a lot of us hold trauma and things like this, mm -hmm. but it's also because many of us put a distinction, and this is again why I want to do this episode today, a distinction between the mind and the heart. And we have this separation, right? And that is where, and maybe this word can resonate with you, my friend, the surrender is needed, right? Mm -hmm. It is often the mind that puts up that resistance while we're having an experience much like the Kundalini rising that stops it from completing, from getting into completion, because there is a mind that's inside of us. That's like, I need to work this out. What is the logical thing for this? What is, what is the analytical breakdown of this thing that is moving through me? And I'm sure you've experienced this. There is no logical analytical analysis of it. There's only a very deep spiritual divine. What's the word? feeling and acknowledgement of it. And I think once we surrender into that, then a lot of the, the expansion and the completion of the Kundalini can occur. Mm -hmm. Am I making any sense? My friend, does that resonate? At oh all? yeah, for sure. <laughs> so first I want to address to what you said at the beginning, which was um, about having these experiences and then having trouble grounding. So yes. when I was being trained by Emma Bragdon to be a spiritual merchants coach, coach, there's a section of it about grounding. Yes. And when I work with clients who are having spiritual awakening, um, I basically share um, tips on how to be safe yeah. and how to ground. And I, so I included a lot of what I learned through Emma and other reading about how to ground. So you want to be 
both grounded in the real world in your life and elevated, meaning staying spiritually evolved as possible. And what's so interesting for me is I'm like, it's so great. We're having this conversation because I just what taught at the Sangha Fest, which is this, it's kind of like Shakti Bhakti Fest, which went away and it drew in the same incredible teachers. Like, and I'm sitting right in front of Kia Miller and she's like this Kundalini yoga, like goddess, you know? And when I get done with the practices, I'm like, whoa, I feel like my Kundalini is like, and I already mm. have my own spiritual path, mm. but she has different spiritual practices, very physical pranayama and certain seated positions. And I plan on doing that as part of my, she's now one of my teachers, you know? But then what I like to do as a holistic coach is I weave in life purpose. So a lot of times when people have a spiritual awakening, their views of the world have changed and their relationships are going to shift whether they like it or not, because these relationships maybe haven't been healthy in the past. They might want to have different type of relationships. So, but I also am a bridge to get people who are having either they're fighting some severe mental challenges that are beyond my capacity as a coach, or they're having such a profound spiritual emergency that it's best for them to be in a counselor. So I serve as a bridge to get people into the right type of counselor with someone who has high level of spiritual competency. And then I love working with them where I see them in between on and off to keep them accountable, to keep going to that counselor and to help them moving forward. Because one thing about a counselor is, a lot of times they're not checking in with you in between sessions and keeping you accountable for that deep self-care for your, Mm. and first when someone's going through spiritual awakening is safety and just grounding, maybe doing a little more spiritual exploration, but at some point they're going to change their outer life to match their new inner life. And I have done that. And I, I am obsessed in helping people stay balanced in body, mind, and spirit to continue to evolve. Yeah. It's beautiful, my friend. I'm happy you exist. I'm happy your soul has found this incarnation where we are meeting and the work you're doing in the world, much like I think a lot of people listening, like I said before, is expanding into the future. So I appreciate you and I'm really enjoying this conversation. I want to go back to what you said about the Kundalini rising that you were having mm-hmm. and you were low, you're noticing it, you having to pay attention to those lower centers. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling you're going to, you're, you're hitting on here, the sacral sexual energy. And I'm, I'm going to preface this for people listening to go back and listen to the episodes. At this point, I will have one released with uh, Andre Knight on tantric love and tantric connection. Mm-hmm. I also have an episode with uh, Heather Tucker on sex, sex and religion, and also one with Kim Vopney on pelvic health and pelvic balance. And the reason I preface this is this sacral, sexual, sensual center is such a powerhouse of spiritual awakening. Mm -hmm. So with that foundation, my friend, continue what you were saying before about this Kundalini hitting this section of your being. So it wasn't until I was, so one of the teachers, I, I, he's not my core teacher, but it's a monk in Southern California. It has his own fellowship. And so I got to sit at his feet a couple of times and it was profound. He, he was the first man of the cloth who actually really understood what I was experiencing and so sweet and gentle. And he gave me advice of how to, you need to ground. So now I'm like listening to some of his webinars and he starts talking about Kundalini rising. And he says that it is normal for when a person's having Kundalini rising to have extreme sex drive. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. And in order to bring the Kundalini from the third to the fourth chakra to the heart center, he gave some tips about how to do that. Um, you know, focusing while you're looking at the third eye, focusing on the heart center. And there's many spiritual practices associated with my path that help rise the Kundalini mm-hmm. upward um, through spiritual practices, pranayama and internal meditation to rise it. It's not easy. It takes a lot of practice. Like people are like, oh, I want to have a Kundalini rising. To hope it's gradual for you. You don't want one that's huge that explodes your life like mine did. And the other thing about it is, so I actually was advised by one counselor to go sleep with other people. And I was like, that is not good for my soul. No way. Because I, it's your, you know, it's sacred. <laughs> it's not meant to, that energy is meant to not share with just anyone. And it led me to this counselor with Patanjali Kundalini. Cause I was like, I got to find someone who specializes in Kundalini rising. Oh my God. <laughs> and then I went deeply devotional on a spiritual path that was right for me. So that's how I, I mean, I don't really want to reveal some of the, some of what of my techniques are because they're not mine. I actually signed a piece of paper that I can't teach that I give when I teach yoga and meditation, like I just did uh, down at a festival, I give people a taste of it because I went through a big spiritual search and different types of physical and spiritual practices. And there are many that are not secret, that are very similar to the path that I am on that allows me to open my sushumna where the seven chakras are for the prana, your life force, pranayama. We use the right pranayama, our breath work to control our life force in a way that rises it instead of going down and out by having sex, you know? Now, I'm not saying that sexual intimacy is not important as being a normal, healthy human being. And how you want to use that energy is up to you. Do you want to do to direct that to a divine partnership? Do you want to direct that to fully expanding your consciousness to serve the world and others and connect with the divine, you know, it's up to you. And it's, it's an, it's a wonderful exploration. If you start having Kundalini rising, one needs to ground and find the right spiritual path and make sure you're safe. So that's one thing I do. Like a young lady saw on the back of my book that uh, there's a van there and she knew I had a Kundalini rising. I want to buy a van and go explore. I was like, "Mm, just beautiful young lady. And I'm like, I didn't put in the book is after the end of the book, I got into a lot of trouble. When you are a woman by yourself traveling in a van in bliss, watch out. So that's what I have to say about that sacred sexual energy. You really want to be in a safe setting when you're having an awakening like that. Mm -hmm. So let me add on to this, my friend. So yes, hundred percent. And I think you set a really beautiful foundation there, but let me, let me go a little bit deeper with this. And maybe I can, I'll come from that, that, uh, that teacher that said to you, go sleep with other people and, and I'll, I'll try and interpret what he was meaning by that. Cause I, I definitely got a hit when he, when you said that. So again, if you go back and listen to those episodes, I've had a, a few chats about this and I practice this in myself and yes, we need to be very mindful, especially going through a Kundalini awakening that we need to be careful with that balance between. And I like to use the, the Carl Jung quote of no great tree can reach its branches up to heaven without its roots first reaching down to hell and right. Biblical symbology aside, it shows the importance of that balance that is needed. However, if you can find a partner that respects you, that is on the same spiritual path to you, maybe they're not going through Kundalini rising, but they understand that divinity is inside of me and also inside of you. Now what can occur in the sexual act is that the sex 
cre- creation energy is what we're all made of, right? We're all made of creation energy, full stop. We're creative beings. We're here to co-create with the universe. One of the ways that creative energy expresses itself through this human, beautiful animal that we are is through sex. Now, with all of those asterisks and parameters met, now what a sensual sexual act with another source of divinity is, is a connection deeper into that God source. And I feel this is where it can be supportive to the Kundalini rising experience because now, and you said this before, my friend, sometimes we don't feel safe in our body, maybe due to, you know, mental health challenges, trauma from our past, inner child mm-hmm. things. But if we can feel safe in a container with another, especially mm-hmm. if that container is sexual and sensual by nature, now these energies can feel safe enough to continue to flow upwards and be and enter that completion cycle. Does that resonate at all, my friend? Yes, because I have a partner. <laughs> and... Um, I think he was wishing for a Tantra partner and, you know, um, and so, you know, we're exploring that, but it was really hilarious. We were in Nepal and we were like at this profoundly spiritual bookstore and we're looking for all these like Kama Sutra books and everything. And, and we're picking and he's like, he's kind of, he's kind of like taking it back by some of the Tantra books. He's like, Oh, I'm not really finding what we want here. And I turn around and there's a whole bookshelf after bookshelf of books for my spiritual path. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what a, oh, what a beautiful sign. <laughs> this is this is one of the books I've been wanting to 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 buy. And here I am in Nepal and it's like a dollar fifty or something, you know, and it's brand new. I'm like, and now I use that book when I do guided meditations for for affirmations at the end. It's really hilarious. But um we are uh, on the same spiritual path. He wasn't yeah. on my path. He's joining me now. We're actually going to go on initiation um so so he can go deep with me on the path. And it was funny because he said to me the other night, we were all the time in Nepal, you didn't talk about your path. Alex, when I go, because I wanted to understand you. Yeah. I wanted to understand where you came from, yeah. your path so far in this lifetime, just understand you. And he's just looking at me going, uh, well, I had no idea how the wisdom of what you're on. And I'm like, well, I get to see so much wisdom from you, you know? And so now we're swapping, we're sharing. So yeah. I'm a mystic. So even though I have one core path, I have quite good discernment, which is comes from the cool thing is, is that since I was a Western-based scientist and I knew how to look at studies and data, yeah. I was an epidemiologist, I have good discernment. Like, is this woo-woo? Is this ancient, true wisdom? And so we're swapping wisdom, you know, and we are supporting each other to become divine. So I like the analogy of... Uh, I grew up with the father who loved finding beautiful rocks and putting in a tumbler. <laughs> and so we knock against each other. We we bump the corners off and we're smoothing each other off. We're becoming more divine into our interpersonal relationship. Really every, and every time I meditate, when I come out, it gives me that 10,000 foot view of like looking down at myself and my life without beating myself up. It's been a process to not do that again. And go, what's my part? What can I do to be more divine? How can I bring this up in conversation so we become more divine together? Um, And how can we really support each other? Because we really believe in each other. Like we have faith in each other. So being kind, compassionate, committed, and faithful to each other. Not just faithful in commitment, but that we have faith in what each one of us brings to the world to help Mm -hmm. others. 
to be more divine in the world. I get the image, my friend, of, well, two things. One, I get the Rumi quote of, at the end of the day, we're only ever all walking each other home, right? To that, that divine love, God, source, whatever you want to call it. And I see the beautiful relationship of two sovereign beings that aren't codependent on each other, but are connected, interconnected into themselves, holding hands together, taking steps forward into divinity, right? And I think, I think we can all apply those, that rule, that, that goal to any relationship we have, not just an intimate one with a partner, but our friends, our family, et cetera, right? Um, my friend, I want to switch here a little bit and I want to hit on a couple more topics before we have to finish because I want to, I want to pick that beautiful mind of yours because I, I love this dance we've been doing between the mental and the spiritual. And I want to hit on another, I don't know if it's a misconception or a confusion that people have. I know I've certainly run into it. It's this, the difference or the similarity in your opinion between clinical depression that people may suffer from or move through and mm -hmm. a dark night of the soul or a dark night of the ego. Mm -hmm. Where do you feel these, this spiritual term and this mental health challenge, where do you think they coalesce if they coalesce? Mm -hmm. They definitely do. So a friend of mine, when I was headed out to California in my van, sent me a TEDx talk from Lisa Miller, who is a psychologist who is actually researches the intertwining of mental health and spirituality. And she, she talked about, she showed like this dark door and it has to do with that dark, those dark moments. And then the light shining on either side, that if you can just get past that dark door. So I definitely had clinical depression, right? And really, honestly, the only way I could get out of it was to find a spiritual path that was right for me and practice it daily. Because this world, it's a battle between, you know, being in the material world, the duality of darkness and light. And it really is important to tap into the, the deep, the depths of your soul and tap into that inner joy, inner love, inner pre peace, and then, and then bring it forth into the world. So there, for me, I, I love this. There's this quote from Paramahamsa Pragyananda, who's one of my teachers and well and done on he that talks, pronunciation. Yeah. They always um, sound hard talks, to say. Yeah. Sanskrit word, Sanskrit yeah. names. Yeah. yeah. I had to practice a lot because I, I I had to do a little bit of the audible section of the book because there's so many Sanskrit words. The poor narrator is like, you can take a break for this chapter. I'll read it. So anyway, um, is that imagine that God you're walking alongside God and you're a little kid and you're holding onto the thumb and you get into this great festival this, and you just a little kid, you want to go explore and you're just going to let go. And then before you know it, after a certain amount of time, life beats you up this external world. And it's time to go back to, as you say, go back home and tap into whatever spiritual path is right for you. And it may take some seeking. So I have to say that mine was pretty exhausting from going to the dark night of the soul. So this phrase, I actually researched that. And that's, there's actually two different interpretations of dark night of soul. So most people, when in pop culture, when they talk about dark night of soul, they're talking about something really dark that happened for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you're trying to get out of that dark moment. 
so Dark Night of the Soul actually comes from ancient writings from a mystic in like the 1200s. And it, it's about once you have connection to spirit, to the divine, and you lose it, mm. that's another dark night. That's a different yes. type. Of, and I've had that too, yes. where I actually had a physical ailment that prevented me from being able to do any of my spiritual practices. And it was brutal. And I'm Elizabeth, like, just uh, to jump in here, yeah. this is mm-hmm. the one that I think people ask about a lot when they say, can we have multiple dark nights of the soul? And based off that definition, I think people can answer yes, right? And you, you, you said happening for us, which I'm very happy that you said that, right? That's, I think, a shift that helps us through it as well. Right, we can. I think we can move through those dark nights of the soul, through those painful challenges. Once we see that, as not we move out of the victim archetype. Right, it's happening to me. There's, you know, I don't have the power to get through this. Compared to this is happening for me, and I need to go 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 back into or connect deeper into that higher mm-hmm. power that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, all of us have transformations, whether it's a spiritual awakening or not throughout our lives. And when do you transform when things get so tough <laughs> that you dive deep into what you already are divine in to get you through this moment? Um, even if you don't have a spiritual path, there's the, you know, just some people just like, I think about my, my parents are deeply spiritual. Okay. But they're not, they're on a path that I'm not on anymore. And the amount of resilience, which they have embodied for me, witnessing that resilience, they left, they left Europe during World War II in the, like right after, right after World War II, they left, they left Europe, nothing but what they could carry on a little satchel and got on a boat, you know, started all over again, you know, and the amount of trauma that they both went through during that. And the amount of healing that came from tapping the resilience and starting over again. We all have similar stories. Yeah. And it's just a matter of how dark and if you're ready to go spiritually to get you through it. Yeah. And, and something else that's sort of bubbling up around what you're saying. There's no guilt and shame around if you're ready or not, right? right. If, you, yeah. if you stay longer in that dark night of the soul or not. Right. I think this is the other piece that people can get stuck in. And there's, there's this guilt of, oh, I wish I knew this 10 years ago, or I wish I, I wish I had this spiritual resilience or devotion X amount of years ago, because I wouldn't have moved through that, you know, that partner or that, that abuse or the, whatever the thing was. And I think this is something I really want to plant here is not only is the substance of God, consciousness, divine source, universe, whatever your name is for it, love it's unconditional love so Mm -hmm. you are worthy you are appreciated you are seen despite all of this yes there is always expansion there and 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 you're able to tap into it and heal as you said but if you don't there's no judgment there's no Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. condemning this is probably a whole other conversation but i think this is part of the religious programming we need to move out of there's no condemning if you decide not to, am I making yeah. sense? Yes, okay. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I have a funny story to tell about that. I'm yeah. a storyteller. Yeah. So. so I decided to become a, the wellness sponsor for a public health conference. Cause I was in public health for 20 years and I show up to teach meditation and yoga. And I, I was reflecting while I was driving there. I can't believe I did this, that, the other, you know, that inner credit. I can't believe I did this, that, the other, and I haven't done this and I haven't done that associated with my spiritual practices, my 
uh, what I'm doing with my business. And I go and I set up my booth and it's getting kind of late in the evening. And I walk through the exhibit hall and I see all these other booths that I'm pausing and looking at you know, their freebie giveaways to give ideas. And I pause at this substance use prevention, like intervention type of booth. And it's designed, these people create educational materials and outreach to really reach out to people who are using substances to self-medicate, to bring them in into healing. And there's a card there and it said, there is nothing you could ever do. And you open it, you know, and I'll still be here for you. And that is definitely what I feel for my spiritual teachers. Like once I'm ready to slow down and tap back into my self-care in terms of spiritually, they are there for me. Yeah. Unconditional love. Yep. Yeah. Just, uh, I feel that my friend, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a big part of this podcast, right? You asked me why I named this, the cosmic love antenna and it's that, right. It's reminding people of that fundamental, unconditionally, unconditionally loving, non-judgmental truth, right? Another way you could, you could phrase it. If you use the word God, right. It's that God says, yes, right. God says yes to all. Right. So if you're, if you're moving through the expansion, moving through the pain teachers, the answer is yes. If you're deciding to know, because you're still in that victim archetype, you still haven't gone into that awakening experience. You're stuck in the Kundalini for years and years. The answer is yes. Right. Go for it. And there's value in it all. So yeah, let's, let's move on my friend. I want to hit on two more things here before we finish. And I want to give you time to talk about your beautiful book. Uh, I think the last thing, I'll hit on here before we get to that is, you know, something very relevant to all of us at the moment is, you know, just coming out of COVID, right. Coming out of the pandemic in many places, it's still going, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but I'm wondering, you know, what is your perspective, my friend, on why this is this whole conversation that we've had, right. Of this, these the mental health challenges, the spiritual awakening and spiritual competency, I think this is more relevant than ever, but I'm wondering where does this factor into the pandemic and everything we're doing, we're dealing with COVID. Do you think this is a necessary conversation to be had in connection to that? Yeah. So I happen to have been an infectious disease epidemiologist and epi means upon and demo means the people. And so I started out as a veterinarian and then became, because there's so many of the nasty diseases that can cause a pandemic our animal in origin, which this coronavirus was, um, I could see it coming. It's pretty wild. My soul knew. And about a year before the pandemic hit, my awakening starting and I didn't tell anybody, didn't write it down. I just said inside, I want out. I don't want to be a public health leader. <laughs> and so we had warning signs, like we had SARS, which was a really closely related yeah. virus. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the animal meat markets is what caused this virus to emerge. But if you think about the last one, it was, you know, avian influenza was our last pandemic. And, in, and unfortunately, this happens periodically. Mother nature does this to reduce the human population when it gets mm -hmm. too thick. And you see it in nature all the time. And I'm not saying that out of callousness, but it's true that we are overpopulating the planet. Mother Earth can only handle so much. But I really do feel like it pushed a lot of people when they went to go home and they're isolated at home. They had to face relationship mm. issues, prioritization for how they've been living their life. 
lots of loss happened and I'm sure it sparked a lot of awakenings. That's one reason why I'm like, oh, when I was watching it happen, I'm like, oh, this just happened for me. Like in my personal life, it's happening for the whole planet now. But one thing I saw grew out of that, I remember going on like, there's so much spiritually it was being pumped out during that time. And it really became quite mystical in terms of people of all different paths coming together to pray and to do good work, Mm -hmm. um, to go deep spiritually. And so I thought it really felt very similar to mine. I basically isolated myself. You'll see in my book that I have lots of trauma and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. Interacting with the world. I got to figure this out and go dark within, meaning going literally isolating myself and going deep. And so when I saw, so people can't go to Starbucks, they can't go, they can't do their outer distractions anymore. So they had to face a lot of what was going on within themselves and in their lives. Cannot agree with you more, my friends. I think I, I see that gift element of the pandemic as well. And I definitely experienced it in my journey. I mean, this podcast was birthed due to the pandemic. The A lot of people listening to this episode have heard me speak on the Clubhouse platform and you know, the, the growth that I've had on there and the people I've been able to reach stemmed from isolation I experienced due to being in Australia and us being locked down. And despite what you feel about those choices that were made, because of those choices that were made, I was able to lean in to the fact that there was something here for me from, a, from at the very least from a mystical perspective. And I was able to take that energy and then put it back out into the world as love. And I think that is something we can all learn to do, not just with a pandemic and an event happening currently, but as we step forward into the future, right? How can you see a collective challenge as an individual opportunity for expansion, right? And then add back into that collective to help everyone, right? Just another quick example, you know, you look at everything that's happening with Russia and Ukraine and, you know, all of that stuff. And I think the one option to help is actually physically going there and doing things, donating, being of service, all this, all this stuff. Another option we forget about is actually doing your own inner work that we've been talking about today, right? Because we know of things like the Maharishi effect, right? When we go inwards and meditate and connect to a frequency of love, that is not done in separation, right? That is done as a component of an interconnected collective. So I just share this, my point that I'm making, all the stuff that we've been, you've been hearing the beautiful Elizabeth talk about today with the spiritual awakening, with the Kundalini, with the sexual energy, all of it, that, is, that doesn't just impact the individual, right? It impacts the collective that we're a part of. Anyway, rant, rant done, Elizabeth. I want to give you the opportunity now, my friend, before I have one more question to finish with, but before we get to that, you know, a lot of the stuff you've been speaking about is from the beautiful book that you've authored and the work that you do in the world. So if people are interested, they want to know more, where can they go? What can they do? How can they connect deeper into the beautiful gifts that you've shared with the world? Oh, thanks, Harrison. Um, So Elizabeth with an S instead of a Z, lava.com. You can also find it through Be True You with two E's, like a B flying. Because originally that was my original URL. And then I had people saying, you got to put your, I'm like, really? Going from a stripping waking where I feel like I'm just one with the cosmos. And now I'm supposed to be like, I don't know, Elizabeth. (laughs) But, um, and I'm doing a free webinar on May 21st. And I'll be going deep into the resources listed there. I'll do a brief guided meditation We'll go through the resources and then take a Q&A. And I think I'm going to actually do that monthly. Um, and I'm going to create, I'm in the 
process of creating a clubhouse room. And it is so if you're on that what a coincidence. App, Many so Elizabeth just interrupts. Yes. Sorry, many people listening uh, to this are on the app, so because they follow oh, me, wonderful, so wonderful. share it. Yeah. So in the Women's Wisdom Club, so men can participate; they just can't come up on the stage and speak. Um, so I'm sorry about that. I may create one outside of it, but for now, it's going to be in the Women's Wisdom Club. Judy Foster is the founder of that, and the title of the room is when transformation becomes a crisis and it'll have a different subtitle each week. And some weeks I will be interviewing experts in their field on this topic and then do a Q and A with those that are in the audience so that it's not me just speaking and taking Q and A's, but it's really highlighting those experts that I studied from and they are better equipped to answer some of these questions that I am from the public. So that's my plan. Beautiful. Excited. So I'll put that on my webpage. Right now, the if you're interested in the free webinar, you can go onto my retreats webpage and register there and there's um, no cost to you. And what I'll do, as always, beautiful listeners, if you click on the show details in the podcast player that you're listening to this episode on, you'll see the links to uh, Elizabeth's uh, social handle and her website and all those things. So you can just click on those two and go straight to these details. Elizabeth, I love you very much. Thank you for sharing your time with me today. I have one final question for you before we finish up here. And it's a question I ask everyone. And we've hit on it, little bits and pieces throughout this chat today, but I want to hear it directly from you, my friend. Love is a core component of this chat that we've talked about and the podcast in general. So I'm wondering, how do you personally define that love word? Mm. Unconditional acceptance, acceptance, mm. kindness, compassion. Um, yeah, so non-judgmental is a huge part of it, because we really are all doing the best that we can. And and when you're ready to do even better, <laughs> there's loving forces that come along to support you. And I wanted to say one other thing is that when I go deep in my spiritual practices at the end, I send out. Whew, peace and harmony, love across the world. But it's when I have those deep meditations and then I have really challenging interactions, it's so hard for me to get upset. I just look at the person I'm like, this is another manifestation of the divine. And I, I feel so much love for everyone. So I have, all I'll say is healthy boundaries though, too. Oh. <laughs> yeah. A beautiful answer, my friend from a beautiful soul. Thank you for coming here today. Thank you for sharing your, your mysticism with all of us beautiful podcast listeners out there in the podcast world. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got some value out of this beautiful woman and what I had to share here today. If you did, remember you can share this with a loved one, with a friend, a family member, someone you'd love very much. Click that share button, send it to their messages, text them and, and share your thoughts. But until then, we'll catch you next time here on the Cosmic Love Antenna. We love you both very much. Have a wonderful evening, morning, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. And we'll see you next time. Bye everyone. Thank you for listening to the Cosmic Love Antenna podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow Harrison on Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse at Harrison Ma. That's Harrison, M-E-A-G-H-E-R. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. 
Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.